Welcome to Pete's Property Podcast, brought to you by Buyers Buyers and hosted by Pete Wargent, buyers agent, finance and real estate expert, and all-round property guru, plus published author. Join Pete for 30 minutes as he chats all things property with a new guest each week. Learn practical tips from the movers and shakers in the property industry and well-known personalities sharing their property journeys. G'day, welcome to this week's episode of the Pete Borgent Property Pod. I'm delighted today to have a special guest on the podcast, John McCann from PSP Property Group. John, welcome. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for the invite, mate. All good. So uh, did you have a morning base swim in Melbourne today? Yeah, mate. So I uh, got into the bay this morning. It was a, a balmy 11 degrees. <laughs> so I did a bit of a bit of a workout and then, uh, yeah, jumped in the ocean and yeah, was trying to stay in there for 10 minutes, which is always really, really hard. <laughs> You're a braver man than me. I was down in Melbourne yesterday. It was eight with a high of 14. So uh, yeah. bracing start to the day. So tell us a bit about your background and your career because that I think you were at one stage a, a journalist back in the day, but tell us a bit about how you got into real estate. Going back, I guess I got into physics, uh, so started a physics course at university, uh, got through the first year and realised that I'd probably have to spend the next five or six years sort of studying before I'd actually make any money out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then got, yeah, got uh, went for a job at News Limited and uh, started in sales and then worked into like a pre-press role where our little department sort of worked under, you know, under, under the managing director and we printed the newspaper digitally sort of every day and, you know, looked for problems. And I guess probably after about 10 years realised that there was a computer program that did our job probably more successfully than what we were doing it, tested that and basically made myself redundant. Uh, but Having said that, I, I think in the late 90s, you know, working in the newspaper industry, it was, you know, in the heyday of the newspapers, it was, you know, they had heaps of uh, disposable income. There was lots of uh, advertising revenue coming through and it was just a fantastic place to, to work. I remember going for the interview, sitting down and just thinking, geez, I just I just want to work in this building. It's just fabulous. <laughs> and that was uh, down in Melbourne as well? Yes, yeah, so that was at the, the Herald and Weekly Times. Um, so we produced... You know, the Herald Sun, obviously, daily, uh, and then the Weekly Times on a weekly basis and a couple of magazines we did as well there. And it's, um, it, was, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed working there, to be honest. And it was, I think the writing was on the wall in terms of advertising revenue was dropping, you know, the potentially, you know, they weren't really embracing the uh, that new internet thing. And, you know, after, after the technology sort of made our department redundant, I'd had exposure, uh, I guess, to the real estate market through my dad. He was one of the 10-pound poms that came out. So him and mum came out when they were 19. Uh, they were both from Manchester. So not too far, I guess, from where you were, grew up. Yeah, not a million miles away, although everything's pretty close in England. It's not a very yeah. big place. That's it. That's it. So they came over here, grew up on a little farm uh, out in a place called Malmesbury, which is halfway between uh, Bendigo and Melbourne. Basically, dad, dad was a builder um, and then sort of got into, again, another similarity. He was a prison officer as well uh, for a little while and um, they bought a business, a small business uh, closer to Melbourne. That went, that didn't go so well, sort of went tits up and uh, then we ended up selling the farm, sort of moving into town and I think dad was, you know, 45, had $200 in the bank and then just got introduced into property 
and uh, managed to buy, I think that was the property market was going pretty well there, managed to buy, you know, two or three properties and built equity really quite quick and, and really got involved in property there and, and got, you know, sort of got himself out of trouble and, and you know, became reasonably affluent out of property. He actually started, so my first entrance into the market was he started a, a small investment company where there was 10 people, uh, we're all putting in, you know, $50 a week. And the idea was after 10 years, we'd all own a house. Uh, I was studying at the time, so I think I got about six months into that when I'd missed a few payments, so I got asked to leave the group. <laughs> um, so he, he didn't quite cover me for that. Then I guess when, as soon as I started working, as soon as I started working for the newspaper and getting a, an end income, I bought my first house at, at 20. Um, again, built equity really quite fast in that somehow and then bought another house when I was sort of 22 but committed the cardinal sin and and used it like an ATM machine. And the real estate dollars, I, I worked out that the way to avoid compounding interest is to take the money out and spend it on things like motorbikes and boats and and that sort of stuff. It's easily done when you're younger, I guess. And uh, I remember the old adverts, the uh, equity mate. Equity mate. Uh, I guess particularly when you're a young guy, it's uh, difficult difficult to avoid. And yeah. I guess so these days you've ended up at, uh, the PSP Property Group. Tell us a bit about what you guys do there. So PSP Property Group, uh, we sell uh, development sites, uh, large farms. We really sort of uh, operate in that greenfield market just on the on the uh, edges of metropolitan Melbourne. Uh, we've got a team, you know, in the southeast, in the north, west. We've really been very successful in terms of the amount of sales we've made. I think we've made just over $3 billion worth of sales. Uh, since its inception. Um, now we're sort of finding that we've sort of pivoted a little bit in that the relationships that we've made with the developers, we're now doing project marketing as well. So that's really gone uh, very well. And, and the last, obviously, couple of years has been excellent in that market. Um, you know, we sort of sell, you know, five to 700 lots a year. Uh, we offer, I guess, our services are more targeted to the smaller developers, I've uh, been saying that you know we've got a we've got a site at the moment with you know 600 610 lots that's going really really well. Do you want to save on buyers agent fees? You could save thousands with buyers buyers. As Australia's most extensive network of buyers agents, we can lock in highly competitive prices. Plus, our national network of buyers agents are some of the best in the business. So get the buyer's buyer's advantage and talk to us today. Call 1-800-975-051 or visit buyersbuyers.com.au. I guess the reason I wanted to get you on and have some expertise in the area was because, well, I guess the past couple of years, there um, there was initial uncertainty in 2020, then the government... Uh, put in place the home builder stimulus and then yeah. I guess the vaccines came along and everything came roaring back. But I guess, yeah, more recently we've been reading about increases in the price of steel and timber and shortages of materials and then something of a land supply mm. shortage as well, simply because the demand was so strong for a period of time there. Um, so tell us a bit about what you're seeing in the market. Is there a bit of a bottleneck of... Um, in the supply of land for, for Metro and outer Melbourne? Well, I mean, specifically, I think if you head out to the southeast of Melbourne, there's there's 
there's definitely a, a lack of land, a lack of uh, zoned land available to buy. Um, there's a lack of of land that's coming up that will be zoned as well. So the urban growth zone, there, there is a real land shortage out in the southeast, uh, definitely. Out in the north and the west, which is where we operate a lot, I, I, I think there's still, you know, thousands of hectares that are within the urban growth zone um, that are yet to be developed. And I think the biggest bottleneck in terms of that is is the infrastructure and land that's designated, you know, to be developed just doesn't have the service or it's not serviceable uh, in those areas. Um, can't speak a hell of a lot on the cost of the development. Look, it's certainly gone up like anything. You know, there's shortages of staff, there's shortages throughout the industry. There's there's the staff shortages are, are really making it hard. Um, you know, anecdotally, I've, I've heard, you know, in, in some of the water authorities, that some of the you know some of the main planners that that give approval on these development sites have left, and that there's you know junior planners looking after it, running around, and are making life very very difficult. About twelve years ago, um, the MPA, which is the Melbourne Planning Authority, uh, drew a line all the way around Melbourne and said, okay, this is the urban growth zone. We don't want to sprawl out after this zone. And then they started breaking up each of uh, each of the areas within that zone and called them PSPs or precinct structure plans. Uh, those structure plans uh, basically go through a whole. They you know point out where the schools are, where the shopping centres are. You know if it's medium density or, or normal density housing. There's you know a park within 400 metres of every house in these zones. There's it's really a, a strategic plan of of an area before it goes to development. The tool in PSP was probably one of the first ones uh, which was uh, gazetted or which was approved, and that was in the Melton uh, City Council. That was, you know, that was 12 years ago. And to give you an idea, the, the, there's an area in that called the uh, Imaru Circuit Drainage Scheme, which is, you know, obviously the outfall of the water has to go somewhere, and that, that drainage scheme, you know, 10 years on or 12 years on still doesn't have a... A, a long-term drainage solution for now there's about eleven thousand homes that are ready to be developed. They're you know they're all ready to go, and they're not because there's no water authority that's really taken responsibility and said, okay, we'll we'll you know publicly acquire some land you know very close to it so we can outfall into a creek. Um, it's just put you know it's added all these extra costs to the development. So each and every estate has to have a like a temporary drainage solution there, which obviously adds cost to the developer, adds cost to the end end product. I guess that's always the challenge, isn't it? When there's new land released, is um, uh, it's one thing releasing the land, but if there's no infrastructure there and there's no schools or service stations or connecting roads and things like that, then it's it's difficult to make the location attractive, at least initially. Yeah. Um, so I guess the the really interesting thing. To me, is we had the borders effectively shut for a couple of years, and I was even stuck overseas for a period of time. And intuitively, people was thinking, well, like the demand for housing with no population growth is there's plenty of building going on. Um, there's going to be sort of an oversupply, and yet for what for various reasons that just hasn't happened. So, are you still seeing the the demand for new housing is still being very strong? Look, it, it, I think it definitely is. I think that last interest rate rise did make a dent in people's thoughts of the market in that we've certainly seen a slowdown. So, so across the board, 
we've seen probably about 30 or 40% drop in terms of inquiries. Mm. Um, at the moment, we're actually in between uh, stages on, on all of our products. Uh, we've got uh, one product down in Deanside, which is coming to the end of the estate. Um, you know, that that's still chugging along quite nicely. But in terms of the active estates that we've got going now, yeah, we, we've, we've seen just the inquiry rate drop. Um, th- there's probably one estate that's still doing really, really well that's, you know, that that's in a really good spot. It has, it probably aims more towards an owner occupier rather than an investor. And that, that one's still getting good inquiry, but I think overall it's certainly slowed down, but anecdotally look, I, we speak to builders and the ones that have prepared themselves and, and, you know, had these cost escalations under control, I think they're still doing really well. Yeah, and have you seen the, the the price of land increase over the past couple of years in general? Oh, absolutely, astronomically, astronomically. Yeah, um, and 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 every time a price increase happened, it, it the market took it and took it, you know, pretty easily. I mean, we thought once that twenty six thousand dollar home builder grant ended, we thought we'd see a dramatic drop off in in sales, but it was like it had gathered its own momentum, and it just, you know, it, it just didn't stop. It just didn't stop. I think, as I said, I think at the moment, um, you know, inquiry rates are certainly down and I think everybody's maybe holding their breath to wait and see what happens, how high does the interest rate go. Um, but, yeah, I, I, there's still pent-up demand out there and I think as soon as we get to a, you know, a level playing field or an even keel on the on the interest rates, open up immigration, uh, all the factors are there for the market to take off again, I think, because you know, everybody's got a job who wants to work. It's still somewhat affordable and if we can get back to those five percent interest rates i think that's what's been factored in for most people i don't think we'll see a whole lot of uh mortgages in possessions or anything like that i'm, I'm pretty confident with market yeah it's interesting i think um when i think back to the really uh tough recessions which you know decades ago for australia but it was really when people if they lost their jobs and that could make it difficult but um yeah, with mortgage rates it's sort of moving back towards five percent, and everybody has yeah. a job who wants one. It's not quite the same dynamic. It's interesting on the land prices that you mentioned there. I, I was reading the other day up here on the Sunshine Coast that the median price for a block of land now is over eight hundred thousand dollars. And you know, you you think that the yeah. you know the price of housing yeah. you'd have to call at some point, but if it's eight hundred grand just for a block, you, know, you make you wonder. And there is no land. You try and buy a block around here, there's just nothing. Yeah. Um, so a, there's a lot of um, upwards pressure. Interesting you mentioned there on the the population trends because um, uh, for a decade there, Melbourne in particular was growing at a frantic pace, yeah. you know, it's over 100,000 a year and uh, 150,000 in Victoria. Obviously, that's calmed down a bit and I think a few people were uh, ducked off interstate during the um the COVID period, but is, are you starting to see any sort of signs of people coming back or I guess uh, maybe it's more going to be driven by immigration again going forward? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, look, traditionally I think there's a lot of a lot of people, there's an exodus obviously of, of Victoria to go up to warmer climates and then I guess you see, and I, a lot of my friends have done it, they've all gone interstate and then over time, you know, the routes 
bring them back somewhere. Um, the AFL, I guess. Yeah, there's not the much AFL. football up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I've, I've been to uh, I've been to see a few games out today in the Gold Coast as well. It's um, it's good fun. It's interesting there. Yeah, it's not quite the same uh, as uh, the MCG on a on a. Uh, Full house is a slightly different atmosphere, but um, uh, and uh, are there any particular growth areas you're expecting to see in Melbourne over the next decade? I think some of the regional towns will will keep the renaissance that they've had. Um, I think that the regional towns with you know some sort of natural beauty that they have, so towns like uh, Warrnambool and and uh, you know up into Chukar and and Torquay and those sort of surf coast shire and, and all that, I think that they will they will go up and up, I think, probably for the next 10 years. They'll, they'll have continued growth because, look, in my view, and, I, and again, it's only I could be absolutely wrong, but I think the pendulum shift of people leaving the city, I think that will come back just, you know, anecdotally, there seems to be more people in the city now than there was last month and there was certainly more people last month than there was the month before. Yeah, so certainly some regional towns will go well. From what I'm seeing out out in the, you know, in the Greenfields or the outer metropolitan, you know, th- those places are still just booming. You know, there's there's, you know, all obviously all the kids are sort of growing up and buying their first home and people living in the same area. I I guess I see Melbourne just continued growth for, for quite some time. Yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, down in Melbourne, as I mentioned, for a couple of days yeah. and uh, I had a meeting with a guy f- uh, from Geelong, actually, yesterday, And but he'd, he'd moved into the Melbourne CBD, so it's yeah. a lot cheaper over the last couple of years and the commute was killing him. Yeah, I think it's, it's certainly in the evenings Melbourne seems to be pumping with people, but maybe during the day still some people working from home or maybe doing doing three or four days in the office instead of the traditional five. Um, so there's clearly been some kind of a change and I don't know whether that will persist or whether there might be uh, something of a hybrid model going forward. Uh, obviously, for a lot of people... I think that's, yeah, I think that's exactly what will happen. I think, um, sorry, you had a guest on, was it uh, Andrew Kay? No. Mm. Sorry, Simon. Simon Kutzenmacher. Mm. Um, I Your think German he, pronunciation is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think his his sum up of it was was absolutely correct in that, you know, you'll see the city fill back up over the next five years. And and, and again, I know the, the the PR company that we use, I know they've, you know, they're down the Surfshire and then, you know, they have a, an apartment in the city as well. So I think that with the apartment prices being as low as they are at the moment, I think that's, you know, another option for people who are, you know, maybe thinking about having, you know, a city pad and a, and a, and a, a not-so-city pad. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the units there because one of the um, one of the big shifts uh, through the, the COVID pandemic was people wanted more space, mm. and um, I guess you would have seen that directly at PSP. People looking for, I guess, uh, detached houses and blocks of mm. land that are maybe away from the CBD. Uh, but some of those inner city units have have got quite a bit cheaper. Did Did you see anything in terms of? Um, by a preference over the past couple of years? Any sort of changes in taste or property types that they've been looking at? There's a, a not necessarily a shift, but between the investor and the owner-occupier, I think, uh, like, and again, anecdotally from, so I, I did residential sales sort of before I worked at PSP and, and there was certainly a shift towards, you know, single-parent uh, families, you know, maybe rather than buying that 600-square-metre block, you know, with a big backyard, 
certainly really only interested in something, you know, around the 300 square metres with, you know, a really nice house, you know, a bit of an entertaining area outside, but no backyard as such. The land that's available seems to be seems to be sort of heading towards that way. I, I think our a lot of the estates we have now, average size is, you know, around that 350 square metres. That seems to be the sweet spot in terms of the size that people are looking for in those sort of outer metropolitan areas. Um, the smaller lots, you know, the townhouse sites, uh, they're selling pretty well, you know, mainly take, being taken up by investors. But the, you know, those 350 square metre sites, um, you know, there's certainly we can't get enough of that size. I think so. a lot of people quite like the idea of low maintenance these yeah. days. And if, I think some people want enough space for a, a home office potentially, but not that keen on doing the gardening sometimes. Um, uh, John, one of the things I've uh, read a little bit about in the media is that uh, there's some been some high-profile cases of developers getting themselves into cash flow issues, I assume, because they've... Uh, They've got fixed price contracts and then the price of materials and tradies went up and it's put put some of the developers under pressure. Is there any, um, have you had any insights into what's been happening there? Yeah, look, I, I, the last thing a developer will tell you is that they're they're in trouble. But I think anecdotally, again, is that the, you know, those added costs, and I'll go back to that, you know, that, that thing of the, that Imaru drainage scheme. Um, you know, we've got a development in there that was, it was half sold and it was ready to go and it's just hit this this hurdle of you know uh, the water authority not planning or not having plans in place and and this is added you know maybe two years to the project which and again that brings those margins you know pretty close to to them either making a profit or not making a profit um i've got another developer who's had a a change in their cultural heritage uh management and basically, uh, which has required them to go go back to the drawing board just before they've got their permit, go back to the drawing board, do another cultural heritage management plan, which adds, you know, five or six months to the to to them getting to the market. And you know, five months ago, the market was absolutely flying. In in a couple of months' time, when these guys do go to market, it's questionable, you know, what the market is going to look like when they when they come to it. Um, so I think I think it's absolutely affecting them. I think developers probably look more on that longer sort of term. So they've got, they're maybe not as exposed as builders would be, but certainly affected. Yeah. And uh, I suppose um, another thing I'm interested just to get your insights on uh, being based down in Melbourne, um, it seemed for a while there, there was a lot of empty units in the city, but then suddenly everything's filling up again and Mm -hmm. you get away from the CBD and there's just nothing for rent. Is that um, having an impact um, in the kind of areas you guys operate in, there seems to be a massive shortage of available rental properties. Well, and again, it's probably not something that we're, that we're really exposed to. Um, but obviously, the I think there will be a big increase in rents coming up. Obviously, once once the interest rates go up, rise go up, um, people who have bought investment properties, you know, will be, you know, will need to increase their costs have gone up, so they'll need to increase their their income. So. I think, and again, once that once that interest rate stabilizes, I believe people will be able to make that investment choice. And it seems, again, we're, we're in uh, St Kilda Road in Melbourne, and it seems like the most of the apartments are, are full again, as you said. Um, yeah, in terms of the investors, I think maybe they're holding back just to see, you know, if they're either in the market now, but in terms of new investors, they've certainly dropped off. But I think that will 
they'll come back once once the, the interest rates level out. Yeah, sentiment uh, stabilises a bit. I think at the moment people are just hanging back to to see how things play out for a few months on the on the interest rate rises. And as you mentioned, the cost of a lot of stuff's been going up, a fair yeah. bit of inflation around. Have you got any advice for a first home buyer looking to pull the trigger on a first purchase, maybe uh, buying a block or buying something to, mm. to live in as a first step? So the, the I guess... I was always told it's it's really the time in the market, not the timing of the market. Um, just the market's the market's not going to drop. I, I wouldn't have thought, you know, depending on obviously that's specific to certain areas, but I would have thought just get in when you can. Um, you know, if if you're already qualified for finance, I would go and buy something now before the interest rates change, and maybe you're not qualified in in three or four months' time. Um, so maybe go out and buy something now, and then. I guess the other the other thing I was always taught was the the BAM principle, which is uh, you know, which is buy right, you know, add value and then manage intensively. So if you can find something maybe a little bit under under sort of valued out there in the marketplace, which again, anecdotally, I, I think auction clearance rates have dropped a little bit. Maybe go in and make a cheeky offer on on some properties, but that certainly being able to add value onto a property, create some equity, and then. You know, then you're then you're miles in front. You've set a little, a little bit of a buffer for yourself if interest rates do go up too much. Yeah, absolutely. And for the first time in probably a decade, we're actually seeing wages go up. So even mm. if we do get a rate hike or two, yeah. um, at least uh, with uh, full employment, there's good job opportunities and prospects for a raise or a promotion. So, uh, John, if people want to find out a bit more about PSP Group and what they do, where should they go for more? Uh, so either hit me up on LinkedIn, uh, John McCann, or they could go to pspropertygroup.com.au. Brilliant. That's uh, that's excellent. So, uh, John, uh, thanks so much for giving us your insights into what's going on at the pointy end, uh, especially down in Melbourne and Victoria. So uh, look forward to seeing how things play out over the rest of the year. Any tips for the uh, AFL this year? Oh, mate, I support Essendon, so uh, we're building this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a re, it's a rebuilding. Rebuild this year, rebuild this year, next year. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. All right, thanks so much, John, and uh, speak to you again soon. No worries. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Pete's Property Podcast, powered by Buyers Buyers. Don't forget to subscribe and join us next time as Pete chats all things property with a new guest. And just a reminder that the information provided in this podcast is general advice only and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation or needs. You should always consult a licensed professional to discuss your individual personal circumstances.